Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. Nice. Yeah, dude. So I'm kind of excited because, like I was saying on that uh, our previous episode, how I'm kind of showing her around, showing her the, the central fly or central flyway migration through the Dakotas. Like now she needs to be my tour guide, and I want to see some cool shit in Panama. Probably we'll get to see some cool shit in Panama. Oh, dude, she's showed me some really cool stuff already. Like, there's this entire mountain, and all they do is grow strawberries there. Like, the best strawberries ever, I guess. Wow, okay. Yeah, dude, I'm all about strawberry. I'm going there. <laughs> kind of shocked me. You didn't strike me as a strawberry aficionado. Shit, whatever that word is. Fuck that one up. Aficionado. Dude, that's because you probably have never had some strawberries from... A Mexican dude off the freeway in California. Yeah. Those are some fucking strawberries. You're right, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> you are yeah, correct, I, sir. I have not. When I went, uh, I went out to uh, uh, California last January, and I bought. I just did a quick grocery run at Walmart, and uh, woke up. The White Brothers were looking at me. I'm just smashing these uh, Walmart strawberries. I'm like, these are the fucking. These are the best strawberries I've ever tasted in my life. He said. He like looked at me cockeyed, like, "Where did you get those things?" I said, "Walmart." Can you believe it? I said, "Yeah, those things are junk, dude. Don't eat that." <laughs> I was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Dude, throw those in the garbage. Those are the best strawberries I've had in my 33 years of life." Oh, they're gonna be pretty amazing. I like wild strawberries, little tiny morsels, but they're packed with flavor. Oh hell yeah! Can't beat them. Um. But they're also the size of a ballpoint pen, so All right. <laughs> <Like super laughs> tiny. It'd, it'd take you a week of foraging to get enough for a meal. Well, I promised some Central Flyway numbers. Yeah, let's get into oh, it. Oh shit! Yeah, I just remembered where I put them though. Just now, like, you didn't have them at the ready. I was stalling. Come on, Nick. Let's go. I was stalling. Looks like this Atlantic Flyway is going to have a 30-day one-goose season again. Still stalling. 30 days one-goose? Yeah. What? Yeah. Like New York can only shoot one goose? Just parts of it because it's not like the – there's two – there's several populations that are managed in the uh, eastern flyway, and it's only the Atlantic Flyway population – or maybe it's at the North Atlantic Flyway. I can't remember which one it is, but they have just sucked dick at breeding for like three years straight. Like 
I guess a banding crew went up there and uh, they normally banned like two or three thousand juvies and they banded one in a, <sighs> one spring, like two springs ago. They banded a single, a single juvenile. Wow. Kind of crazy. That is kind of crazy. How cool would it be though to harvest that one band? <laughs> Dude, I know, I know a one of a kind band out there that would be sick. And? It's pink. It's a pink tarsal band with black letters. On a honker? Yeah. I know where it got banded as an adult female in like 2009. It'd be pretty, that's going to be a tough one. Let's go get it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. I'd probably do it. Have, wh- have white box will travel. Um, here's kind of a theme, I guess, that's been running through my brain lately. Uh, just the concept of like when people say like, man, my area is not what it used to be. And flyways are always constantly in flux. So I think when somebody says that, what is happening is they're living in an area where the balloon was filling up, like when they were getting into waterfowl and then it's now deflating, you know, cause it, the pressure just moves the birds around like a balloon. So if you are from an area or experience that where you, you got the, the balloon expansion and now the balloon depression, there's, there's a lot of, I think you're oversimplifying uh, it. What do you mean? There's a, I think there's a ton of factors. Uh, housing, oh, I just mean like housing air de- pressure in the yeah. balloon. No, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I get, I get the, I get the analogy that you're building, but what I'm saying is I don't think it's just hunting pressure. No, no, no. I'm not trying to say it is just hunting pressure. I'm saying pressure in the balloon, like pressing on the sidewalls of the rubber. I gotcha. Like when, when any force moves that balloon around, like if you live in an area where it goes up and then it goes down, you're like, you know, it's the other people ruining it. It's social oh, media, okay. I understand. you know, and you kind of get like, it's not, it's not what it used to be type of commentary or emotions or the DNR doesn't know what they're doing. And it's happened to an area that my, the area where my cabin's at, like that happened out there. I was there for and enjoying every, every breath that got pushed into it. And it sucks when it starts fart noising <laughs> the, the other yeah and it does <laughs> suck and there's more hunters there and there's there's more competition you can't get on fields and uh there's less birds so and the birds become a lot more intelligent so yeah i just think there's a lot of factors i mean it can be hunting it can be agriculture changes it can be a uh, housing development that popped up in a field that used to be you know all right uh, typical nesting and or where feeding area yet, where i'm trying to go is like why don't why doesn't people do stuff about it you know like if there's one species of animal we know that we can change its habits it's wintering and uh it's flyway routes it's waterfowl like they are highly malleable the flyway is always in flux so i have just kind of some crazy ideas i read how when black apparel Lacaparo WMA and the Goose Refuge, when that was a state park in 1958, they hired a dude to sit out there with, um, like, I think 10 live geese, calling geese, and uh, or there might have been decoys because he used an amplified record player to um, play honks all night long, like, uh, especially on the migration events. On the year one, 1958, he successfully got 150 Canada geese to land in Lacaparo Lake. Hmm. And then flash forward 40 years and there was 300,000 geese there at one time, you know, it's not that like that anymore. Right. But that all started with a dude getting shit faced at night with his (laughs) sweet swanky state job of just flipping a record over on some goose honks every night, all night during the fall. And so, okay, there's, there's two things you got to do. You got to attract waterfowl and you have to retain waterfowl. So the retention, I think, is a huge thing because if you retain waterfowl, they are your calling geese, like overnight. Like it's a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. And I've heard Connor Lausch with feet down. I've heard him say, and he he was kind of like just testing some goose theories on me, but he's like, I'm pretty sure we increase the goose abundance in Fergus Falls the way we run our hunts. And I asked, how do you mean? So he says like, we got like five, six, seven good callers in a, in a pit some some days like fire awesome callers and 
He's like, sometimes we can damn near pull in a high percentage of uh, the migrator flocks from outer space. He goes, but we don't shoot into all of them. We don't even shoot into like a, you know, 10% of them. Lots of them just kind of get down to like that hundred yard mark. And then they're like, all right, well, we're not going to go there, but uh, there's a park over there. Right. I'm like, yeah, you are right. You are correct. You're definitely, you're definitely increasing. So I'm like, well, what if I uh, had some areas and I just set up a Bluetooth speaker overnight? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Are there any regulations against that? I can't think, I can't imagine there are. You're not actively hunting. Right. Well, that's attraction, but like retention too is like, just don't blast the fuck out of them. You know, just, that's the only thing. Just don't, just don't overhunt them food, food source or water source. Yeah. We need a refuge, whether it's government sanctioned or your own, if you have enough land. But I mean, if it's not government owned, like good luck, you're not going to (laughs) get, you're not going to get a group of, of hunters to all agree on the same place to be left alone. No. And (laughs) I just wish that's not going to, I know, but the, the field hunting thing, people think it's so pristine from affecting the, the birds. It's, it's just as bad as hunting a roost. And if you hunt smart, you can hunt a field or a roost with a your the same goal in mind, minimal impact. You know, we don't we do do not want these geese leaving this area now that they're here. Yeah, so that's something I was gonna bring up in our last episode is we talked about that round table a little bit, and you're not a super fan of the five day all season long. Not a super fan, but I have committed myself to being open-minded and admitting i don't know what the fuck's gonna happen <laughs> so I'm, you, I'm just gonna because you yeah. think because you well go ahead go ahead you you tell your stance well there's a lot of people who hunt x fields you know i wish they wouldn't but they do but one thing that does happen is people just limit out instantly on a three bird limit it happens they go over by one or two a lot i've not been there when it happened ever of course but I've heard about it, and uh, <laughs> rumor has it. Rumor has it. Go with like four guys. You got twelve geese. There's a couple, you know, a couple fox bombing. Bang, bang, bang. A couple guys. One guy runs out to pick up cripples. Another three pack, and then he comes back, and you're over. And it's not even sunrise yet. It happens a lot. I mean, I, that's what I've heard. And allegedly, allegedly, I've seen I've seen somebody tell me that it happened. And uh, now those guys, the difference between a three bird limit and a five bird limit is is pretty substantial when you're talking about like four or five guys sitting in the next field. Now instead of getting to at a minimum, it's two volleys. Yeah, instead of getting to twelve or fifteen honkers, you're talking about twenty or twenty five. And those those types of setups where it's you know opportunistic guys who aren't uh, aren't really big goose hunters, but they assembled you know forty full bodies between them and their friends. Um, they're going to be out there now all day long. Because, like, they just can't, once the sun comes up and the hide gets revealed and the the hide gets revealed, then geese have been shot at a little bit. So now they're feeding across the road and now the lunch line's starting to skew and now there's not shit coming to, towards you. It happens fast. Sure. And they're just going to be out there all day now. And but, I don't know how that's going to affect them. Well, I mean, but they're out there all day. They probably suck at calling and the mm-hmm. lunch line's already set up. So they're probably not even going to shoot in any birds. So what's the, what's, where's, got- where's, where's the fowl? You got a damn good point (laughs) (laughs) because like a lot of geese never do get shot at, you know, look at Fergus Falls. Um, If, if, if a goose isn't lunch lining, it's vulnerable, but that's 90% of the geese. If you're looking at a big roost, they're not getting shot at. Right. Or even coming close to a hunter. I can see what you're saying on, on a, on a good day, you know, um, I could see that happening. Like the, what you're, the scenario you're painting it's like we didn't get our limit let's hang out and they're going to shoot into a few more flocks to get it done and maybe they miss or maybe you know maybe they only pick one off here or one there and maybe they have to shoot into four or five more flocks until they finally get their limit because they need to go home and then post on social media that they got a five-man limit right where a five-man limit before was easier to get because it was only 15 now it's 25 you know it's like mm-hmm. shit but i don't know i think but, but most you people i think are sucky I don't, I, you know, and I'll even throw myself into that ring. I, mean, I didn't have a great season last year, so I don't even think if, if the season was, I didn't get that many limits last year at three. So five ain't, <laughs> five ain't going to help me out any. It's just that when the a, conditions are right, it's going to make for a better day. That's very true. And for migrators, like a good migrator day in October would be just fun. But there's another thing that's working against the theory that it, it's going to be bad for goose hunting, and that's 
there could just be we're just outnumbered so immensely by geese that I don't care how many there's too many students for the teachers. Sure. Like there's 80,000 waterfowl hunters in Minnesota. How many how many geese from September 1 to January 1 make an appearance in Minnesota? Just put their toes across the border, whatever. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) How many out of that 80,000? Not all of us are hunting 60 days or 100 days a season. What do we get 85 for honkers or whatever? Um so there's just no way. That- and, and of those numbers going off of license sales, I'm assuming, what's the percentage of those that are like efficient day in and day out killers? Right. So, I mean, an average weekday out of 80,000, I guess I'm just guessing, but 10K, I feel like, would be a lot of hunters on the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I and there could be days when there's, there's there, there can be days when there's half a million geese in the state at one time. I think you definitely have a lot of the opening day um, phenomenon too, where you get an influx, you know, opening day, everybody's excited. Some people only hunt that, you know, then you get duck opener, you get an influx on duck opener, and then there's a big drop off, especially once, uh, deer season kicks in goose, uh, goose hunting numbers drastically go down. Oh yeah. And like, I don't like it when they do the like the late season limits wisconsin had that on their survey too i filled out the wisconsin survey and they're like what if we went to a uh, five bird late season i was like that's just i wrote to him i said that'll create another opening day and the quality really suffers i don't know when people talk about bad hunting experiences about 99 percent of the time that's a opening day story right yeah exactly the circus at the boat ramp or whatever yeah and uh I don't know. I've been to a lot of very, very popular hunting spots like on Monday and it's like the world is mine. Right. Yeah. And like the Monday after opener, I hunted uh, Pelican Lake the Monday after opener, like a few years back. And I think there was boats like lined up for a mile and a half. Somebody counted like 170 trucks with trailers parked there. We showed up late. We were like the fifth truck there on Monday. Yeah. And it's just whatever. So um, jobs are a thing. So I uh, I teased the uh, midwinter numbers for the central flyway on the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should go over some of this, man. It's Do interesting. It. it. Okay, so pull them up. And all those people that are down south saying how the ducks don't come there anymore are full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just some lazy, unscouting, unimaginative people down in the south. Does I'm that just... <laughs> even surprise you? Um, no, it doesn't. Because I mean, you go hunting even up here in the north. You go hunting a random ass day in a random ass spot. You might not see a duck or goose, but yeah, it's not if... like geese don't come through the state. And if you go to the same place we've been hunting here since 1965, well, cool. there's your problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, nature isn't static; it's constantly changing. So, like we already talked about earlier, whether it's the balloon analogy that you used or just the fact that nature is never the same one year to the next weather is different food availability is different nesting success is different like and you're expecting it to be the same because you limited out one time with grandpappy in 1986 that you should limit out every single opening morning and if not there's some great atrocity has been committed against you and the dnr has their head up their ass it's their fault (laughs) yeah i love the dnr blaming (laughs) it's so stupid somebody Uh, had some interesting questions in that uh that round table though too about like freshwater shrimp and like minnow uh fisheries or hatcheries that people are creating and that might be affecting stuff that's kind of interesting yeah that's been a um hasn't got a lot of traction but it's that's not a new concern they've been talking about that for a long time Uh, especially those fathead minnows that are i mean they're kind of an invasive species. They're not, but they're not. They were never found in a lot of the watersheds that they are now. And those little fuckers are just voracious predators in their own right. They eat every aquatic insect that dares to move. So um, they're much more. They do. They do a damage on a freshwater shrimp. If if a lake had them or a pond had them, and then you dump fathead minnows in there, you likely will not have them for long. <clears throat> okay, so these um, central flyway results. 
these surveys are flown between like January 4th and January 12th every winter. Most states do them. Minnesota doesn't. Um, most are pretty tough to find online, but I do have the central flyways and the central flyway is going to compose of everything a little west of us. So North Dakota, Montana, South Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, and Texas. I think New Mexico, Wyoming, Colorado have a part of their state that's in the Pacific flyway. Okay. They're actually, they're actually split. So out of all those states in January, who's got the most mallards and how many? Trivia time with Nick Ooh. J. And what what month? It's January fourth through the twelfth. Um, Colorado, Texas, okay. by a lot. <laughs> I thought you were throwing me a curveball. That one seems to make sense. It's the further south, but <laughs> I meant Kansas, but. I was kind of just om- omitting that in my brain. But no, Kansas has the most mallards, but Texas 244,000, Kansas 371. So it's Kansas by a lot, but wow. I built that up and did it wrong. Damn it. <laughs> but ah, Close uh, enough, whatever. That quarter million mallards in Texas thing just blew me away when I first saw it. I was like, mm. what? Like, that's the only number I focused in on. I was like, no way. Well, Texas is like a country, too. Where in Texas? That's a good point. But... I mean, the way those guys talk down there, they haven't had a duck down there in but, you know, they also 30 have, years. There's actually a fair amount of, like, large body bodies of water on there, like Lake Fork and all these big reservoirs that they have down there. I mean, Lake Fork is freaking huge. That lake can hold a piss ton of mallards, and it wouldn't look like it holds a piss ton of mallards. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you, uh, Colorado had 145K. That's, so that's, that's a lot in a, in a relatively small area. Nebraska's sitting at 200, even South Dakota. And I think this was on the Missouri River on the Nebraska border, but yeah. 100, 115. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of birds. It's a lot. Of, yeah. And uh, I mean, Texas kind of just rules the roost for everything going down the list from here on out. Like they had 200,000 green wheel, green wing teal. They had 600,000, um, what is that? Gadwalls. Wow. 183,000 widgeons, 170,000 pintails. That's Texas, all Texas. Oh, God, I wonder where. And, like, for all these other states, when you're talking about other species that I just listed, 600, 170, 200, 124, 82, 144. That's all hundreds of thousands, different gabbling duck species in Texas. The other numbers on every other state goes, like, 1,900, 600, 5,000, 300, 100, 0, 0, 0. Well, like, it's, well, we all know that in the Mississippi flyway, they're all, it's all Tony Vandemore's fault. They're all going to habitat flats. They just um, stop there. <laughs> you know, these ducks, they don't, they don't <laughs> migrate. They don't migrate anymore. They're all staying north. Guess how many ducks North Dakota had in it that were not a mallard in January? Non mallard ducks. That were not a mallard. Not non-mallard, all all other dabbling duck species. How many? What was the count combined? Thirty-eight. Um, it was six. There was a gadwall, a widgeon, three pintails, and a wood duck. <laughs> These ducks, I just snap at people. And I'm, no, no, no. You mean mallards? You mean mallards? Yeah, you mean mallards. <laughs> um, and then diver numbers follow a similar trend. Um, Texas. So this list, uh, my numbers will rattle off like canvasback or redhead can, scalp, ringneck, goldeneye, buffalohead, ruddy. Texas goes 500, 7, 129, 123, 27, and 151. So it's just astronomical. Lot. So we should be going to Texas to duck hunt, apparently. Oh, my God. Dude, there's only a few other states that have any diving duck species that go into the thousands. It, Again, like it, Texas is huge. So it has the benefit of a large landmass to hold... You know what I mean? Like, I think you have to keep that in mind. And also, oh, well, yeah. And some of these surveys, there, there's, if you read through the survey, there's lots of great information about, like, why some numbers aren't the way they normally are, why some are skewed. Like, I think Oklahoma had some helicopter maintenance they were doing, or uh, Nebraska had some roads flooded and they couldn't get to a couple areas. You know, there's always stuff like that that happens during these surveys. They have to do them, has to be in this time period, and they get what they get. Right. 
And out of, but when you look at the, the, the numbers they did get, they counted 3.5 million dabbling and diving ducks combined in the central flyway during the survey. So out of 3.5 million, 2.4 million were within Texas. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And there's some cool goose numbers in here too. Like uh, Montana had the most Canada geese out of any state except Colorado. So Colorado had 273, Montana had 250. It's a lot of Canadas. That is. That's more than Kansas. Kansas had 208. And and not that much water. So like where are they? They must all be fairly concentrated. In uh, Montana? Yeah. No, dude, they, they actually just, uh, they roost in mountains and they feed in the desert and don't ever go there. <laughs> <laughs> I sense sarcasm (laughs) i've I've been i've done that been there done that it's not what it used to be yeah well guess what happens when birds get concentrated Uh, yeah so do the hunters and they're not they're not feeding in the mountains either there's a limited amount of area you can walk right there's a limited amount of doors to knock there's a unlimited amount of trucks circling that valley there you go that's a much that's a much better defense than your they feed in the desert <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean uh that might actually keep me from going there um yeah other than that like snow blues snows and uh blues four hundred thousand in texas um let's see here 1.4 million in kansas one trillion in arkansas <laughs> <laughs> i don't have the. i don't have the um Mississippi Flyway. Mississippi numbers. Flyway. No, dude. I can't even find a website for the Mississippi Flyway. Hmm. I wonder why like that the is. Paci- I don't know. The um, Pacific Flyway and the Central Flyway councils, they've got like cool websites that are functioning and they work good and they're easy. Atlantic and Mississippi just don't exist. I found a Facebook page for the Mississippi Flyway law enforcement officers. Hmm. That's it. So... It's kind of hard to get some of these numbers. It gotta exist somewhere. That's what I'm saying. Somebody's doing it. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff in here too, like uh, just historical data. I love looking at this stuff. You never know. You can see just the trends just pop right out out at you, like that Montana shit. Like, mm-hmm. like it's about every decade for the last four decades, they've stacked an extra hundred thousand geese on themselves in January. Wow. And some areas kind of have the opposite you know where you can see you can see the pressure bubble moving around and then you can compare that with like the hunter data and like well there's not many people that hunt there you know you can kind of catch on to stuff so all we need to do if we can combine what we've learned today is find some land out in montana that doesn't have any real numbers of geese on it right now get some Mm -hmm. records (laughs) <laughs> and a case of energy drinks and we can turn that place into a hotbed. Start, I didn't notice this before. Start digging the pits now is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> get, so, get ahead of it. <laughs> here they've got they've got uh, data for every central flyway state, just Mallard count going back to 1948. Wow. The peak, the peak count was 3.3 million mallards in the central flyway and that i got a lot of lines to trace across here back to 1973 and the low was uh 591,000 in 93 those were the drought years weren't they Ooh. yeah yep that's, yeah, that's pretty substantial that's substantial man like three and a half million to half a million wow but look how much they look how well they bounce back given the right conditions. Yeah, dude, North Dakota is a is a bone pit right now. It is. Uh, it's so dry. They say that, but there's always water out there. There is always water, but ducks like new water, man. Yeah, true. And it's definitely going to result in less birds being born in that area. But I don't know if that translates so much to less ducks being born total. Just Maybe. in that area. Right, yeah. And yeah. Because blue and teal still 
which is mallards and blue-winged teal are the two biggest breeding populations in North Dakota, and they're the same two biggest breeding populations in Minnesota. Like, and Minnesota's not that dry. So it was pretty dry, but hasn't been the last week. That's for damn sure. No, man. I just I was just looking at the uh, updated like drought forecast and drought maps that NASA puts out, or I don't know, they're cooler than shit. I'd never found them before. Hmm. And like, it's just like everything seems like it's dry. It's a little concerning until you hit the North Dakota border, and it's just like death. Hmm. Both for uh, both for surface water, and they somehow measure um like very specifically too like it's uh the moisture content in the soil okay yeah so like our moisture contents a lot and theirs was like two percent yikes so like i guess you know like when it rains it's just gonna soak in like a sponge and not fill up any ponds yeah and not yeah exactly i'll probably almost have to like recharge the aquifers before it fills up ponds right well maybe if every single farmer didn't uh find the most efficient way possible of getting rid of water as fast as possible wouldn't Flush be so that bad toilet into that lake <laughs> not to not to put it all on farmers but i feel like there's a uh, definitely a price to pay with all the tiling that's going on yeah but also like how much waterfall well how much mallards and canada geese how many exist now because of farmers too right i mean maybe maybe it is a an even wash with the food availability loss of nesting habitat i don't know that'd be an interesting if you had two graphs you know it'd be kind of interesting to put them side by side so i heard um ira mccauley on a the big honker podcast he said something about shooting geese in mexico he just said it like real quick mm-hmm. nothing else like yeah we shot geese in mexico once blah 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 so I messaged him. I was like, dude, did you go down there to hunt geese in Mexico? Because that's my thing. I'm trying to do that. <laughs> that's my <laughs> thing. That's my jam. <laughs> I'm trying to eat tacos, wear flip-flops, shoot unlimited piles of geese anywhere I want to hunt, get in good with the narco lords, <laughs> start a little import-export business. And did he give you info? <laughs> What's that? Is he gonna give you? Did he give you info? No, no. They just shot him while they were duck hunting. But he thought my idea was pretty funny. I oh. think. <laughs> <laughs> well, you blew my mind that time we talked about snow geese in central Mexico. I was like, what? And then, yeah, and I actually went through all their midwinter data too, like back to the fifties. And it, yeah, it's really sporadic, dude. Like you get down in those Mexico areas, like I don't know how the geese know it, but it, you know, it's it's feast or famine wherever it thunderstorms the previous week i think if you want to talk about hunting unpressured geese you could have an epic snow goose day in mexico i'm pretty sure yeah probably off of like a 400 bird feed right you'd probably kill every (laughs) last one of them they would just keep coming back well did you hear uh, that interview with that interview with lee about going to none of it yes that would be fucking awesome, man. God, that's such a cool thing to do. That would be wicked, just like glorified pass shooting. Yeah, I was actually surprised that they didn't attempt to really... It sounded like they weren't attempting to decoy ever. I mean, it makes sense. They're up there breeding, so they're, they're, yeah, they're, like, they're splitting off. They're not in big flocks anymore. No, they're starting to get territorial. They're paired up. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, that's what, like... If we were to do an early season honker hunt to do reduce actual local populations, that's what it would be. You would it wouldn't make any sense to go into a a field and run five dozen dive bombs. Like <laughs> you'd want to yeah. you you know, you'd want to set up on a basically pass shoot to uh a popular nesting site is what you'd want to do. Or you take your two best looking sentries and you set them next to a muskrat hut and wait for the fight to start. Be like turkey hunting. Hell yeah. Dude, are you going to go turkey hunting? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. That doesn't really interest me. Yeah, I don't, it, it hasn't, I feel like it's something that I, that it should grab me. It hasn't grabbed me. I go every year, but I, I half-ass it every year too, so. And, and not surprisingly, I have yet to kill one. Oh, really? Well, I just don't put that much effort into it. And I don't use a gun. It had, if I brought a shotgun, I'd, I'd be successful more than I'm not, so 
that's kind of I like the challenge of it, so that's why I use my bow for that very reason. Seems kind of dumb, but welcome to my brain. Yeah, welcome to mine, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it's just you know what I mean. It's like it, it kind of proves my point that the times I go out and I'm like, well, if I had a shotgun, that'd be a dead deer or a dead dead turkey. It's like that's is why I don't bring shotgun because it's really not that hard. <laughs> Dude, they're crazy this time of year, man. Like trying to fight cars. There's some up on 694 yesterday when I was right around 694 in the Mississippi River, in uh, heading over to Brooklyn Center to go over to the FedEx store. Like that was not a good idea yesterday. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> it was getting close to dark too. <laughs> I'm like, uh... Did it get bad yesterday? Yeah, I, I, I actually didn't. I didn't watch the news or whatever. I, me but. either. I guess it's bad. Uh, there's an alert like around Champlin, uh, police department alert. <laughs> like, it's basically like a forecast, except this is, there's a 85 percent chance of protests in the next three <laughs> or whatever. It was like, oh yeah, yeah. It's like, what the hell? This is a weather forecast or a news flash? I don't know. But <laughs> I I tried to stop at a store this morning in Spring Lake Park at like five uh, five fifteen this morning, and it. It was locked. Like, is this a 24-hour store? And they're, like, opening at 6 a.m. tomorrow. I'm like, oh, what the fuck, man, dude? We're, like, we're miles away from it. And um, I was pulling out, and some other guy had the same reaction I did. Like, oh, fuck. I rolled my (laughs) – and it was, like, it's, like, snowing sideways. Like, it's nasty out. And I rolled my window down, and I hollered at the dude. And I was like, hey, dude, you better get your ass to somewhere safe. There's riders everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was like probably like 50 i don't know like he just oh, laughed God. i know i it's thought like good. had nothing going on the day i was like you know maybe i'll actually drive down and we'll do an in-person one for once and uh i'm like actually probably shouldn't do that i guess <laughs> right, right now <laughs> dude how mad do you think like how mad do you think uh like the governor or whatever was when some kid got blasted during the fucking Chauvin trial. Oh, like, I know. Can we they... just not kill anybody yeah. just this week? <laughs> Please. <laughs> can we just let them get away with everything? Dude, if you think you have a bad day at work, like, fuck. I don't care if he's, I don't care what party he's in. That's not going to be a good day. I know. Work. He's not like, you've got to be kidding me. All right. Well, this is going to be awful and I'm not getting reelected to this sweet <laughs> job I got that I don't have to do shit at. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the case anyways, but you know. I don't yeah, no I don't. I don't really follow it that close. Yeah. I don't really either, but it's pretty typical politics. I know there's 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 people that love them, people that hate them. And there's like no in between. <laughs> and I've, I've got my own theories on politics. Like, you know who you know what party benefits, in my, I guess, in my opinion, without any data, but um, what party benefits when, like, the liberals start trying to take guns away? Like, who gets the most donations when it starts to become, oh, like, a yeah, firestorm? Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you're probably It's both right. of them. Yeah. If the, it's for both sides. They get the, – the, the donations just skyrocket. So well, if I was why, a like... politician, I'd be like, why would we try to pass any regulation on this? How about this, Democrats, Republicans? We're going to shake hands. We're just gonna bring this up every three years and pull out the money rakes for both sides, like right. fucking, yeah. like what? Do you like being on the phone all day? Either, like I don't. I'm not trying to beg people for money all day. Right. This just does it all for us. All we gotta do is threaten to take their guns. <laughs> take their guns, and we all win. Yeah. Well, you, there might be some truth to that. Uh, who, who knows? But it's it's kind of like uh, you know when Obama was in office and he won like gun salesman of the year eight years straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they haven't because, slowed down either. No, as soon as someone says anything about gun, you know, common sense gun laws, quick, everybody to the gun store. <laughs> like, get them, get them while they're hot. And here's my theory about how Fox News and CNN developed, like, to be so leaning in one direction. If me and you have our duck call company, and we want to make more money, like, Let's advertise this shit. Let's get more duck calls out in the world, you know, and mm-hmm. do what we can to sell more. Well, a television network has um, 23 minutes of advertising per hour. And next year, they're going to have 23 minutes of advertising per hour. So you either have to – you want to make that more valuable right. as your business year after year. So you have one of two options. You have to substantially increase your viewership or substantially refine your viewership. Right. If you can tell an advertiser, I have this audience, 
then an, an advertiser seeking it now sees your minutes as more valuable. Exactly. And, um, they're just incentivized to be that way because it's good for everybody. It's good for the industry. Yep. I agree. I, I agree a hundred percent. I think you're exactly uh, right. Let's never talk about <laughs> politics again. All right. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was like my version of the fish for you. Right. <laughs> like fish stories, like where I'm just like, ah, stop talking, please. <laughs> you want to talk about trolling? <laughs> no, me either. No, no, no. Let's not. <laughs> let's talk about aerial. Either. Let's talk about aerial surveys. You have any more fun numbers? No, I don't, man. Uh, I, I just was ser- uh, searching for the. The Mississippi Flyway. Did you secure? Did you secure that um, that boss sponsorship while you were down there? I think so. Did you get a check? By the way, uh, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> just let's take a quick break and remind everybody that uh, this podcast is sponsored by Boss Ammunition. Stop being a cheap motherfucker and buy some Boss. I gotta tell you, I was listening to, I, <laughs> when I was listening to it. I'm like, God, I'm gonna have to go buy some again. I, what What I'm thinking is I, maybe I need a different choke. Yeah, or just pellet count. Just pay attention to your pellet count and like what. And uh, Levin was, uh, he jumped up to show me a, a pattern he had done the day before. He goes, "What do you think of this pattern?" I'm like, "It looks good." And he's like, "For, for forty yards?" And I was like, "Oh no, like, for twenty yards? Yeah, it's good and covered up." He's like, 40 yards is way too tight." Like he's got a, a good, uh, like, "Hey, what distance are we shooting at? How do we put?" 15 pellets into a bird at that distance and cover as much space as possible. You know, like right. tight chokes, tight chokes create cripples. Like people are not making the good, like a lot of decoy hunters should not be using extended range pattern masters. Yeah. I mean, that's what I have. I mean, I, and I'll be the first to admit I'm lazy. Like I never take it out. It stays in and put them hunting teal or I'm hunting snow geese. <laughs> and you're going to have a consequence. I'm not hating on you. You're just going to have all consequence of that. Right. And that's going to be less birds killed and more cripples being searched for. And maybe it's one. Maybe it's two. Right. I don't know. But it's not. It's more than zero. Right. Not the other way around. Well, and I'm more or, thinking like, it's just like I said, if you're, if you're trying to put hawkers at your boot bags, why do you need the extended range choke? You shouldn't be using it at, at, at all. You should be trying to get a nice, even pellet distribution across a 40-inch circle at the distance you shoot. It just sucks because that means I'm going to have to get, like, three chokes. <sighs> it's so much work. I usually I switch out to chokes pretty regularly during the season, but pretty much just between one of two. I stick to the stock improved cylinder and stock modified, which I always felt ran a little tight. Um, for Benelli's, like the like a modified seems more like an improved modified, hmm. and they're improved modified and they're full. Both have no steel shot stamped on them. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So like that's the tightest one they want you to use with steel, right? So yeah, it kind of makes sense that it shoots a little tight. Yeah, I mean maybe it's time. Does Boss doesn't make jokes, right? They just they, they don't. They no, they haven't gotten into that. Kind of cool. No, but be kind of cool if they did. I'm trying to make ammo, man. I'm trying. I want to reload my own. Oof. It's a, Get some four tens going, man. Like, uh, I got a bunch. Dude, of... Talking about reducing the impact on birds, man. When birds hear fucking thunderstorms, they know what's up. Sure. Well, I mean, four ten still makes a bang. It does, but man, a lot less. Yeah, but I mean, at 15 yards, you think it matters? No, no, no. Like, but other birds in the area like just that broom, those 10 oh. man volleys uh ported choke 12 gauge three and a half shells um so you, think that, ridic- you think that's affecting a flock of geese three fields yes. over yep they know you're there they're aware of you on the landscape now they know they got to come out of the refuge and uh hold that steering wheel tight mind their p's and q's and be like all right there's motherfucking there's assholes out there trying to kill us <laughs> must, when, be when sep- they- must be september 1st I think they can pick up on a lot of non-hunting cues, like um, trucks circling them. I think they pick up even like a truck, a couple trucks watching them the night before. It's almost like you can feel them, like they're like the tension in the air. Yeah, they're almost like looking over at you <laughs> and they're talking to each other. Like y'all see these motherfuckers sitting on the hill, right, with the binoculars? Like you're. S- oh set- shit! Here we go they- again. They're oh, they're not maybe aware hunting is going on, but they're aware they should maybe start keeping an eye out. Yeah. Maybe I'm 
they got a brain the size of a pencil eraser. Right. <laughs> but I, they seem to be pretty you damn may, good at avoiding you us. Maybe giving them a little more credit than they deserve, but I don't. I don't or maybe know, you're man. not. Or maybe you're not giving them enough. Or maybe I'm Dude, not giving them enough. Bird retention will set you up for a great season. The like the the less times you can expose birds to hunting, gunfire, um human presence anything is going to be a net gain for you and the entire region let's let's swing back to that because i got one more point i want to make on that okay like the, the attracting waterfowl part to your area and i was like hey we can affect this like there's species we, we can affect their populations that's waterfowl people need to bait we need baiting to come <laughs> around dude we need people baiting all summer long man like why can't you a few other groups of uh, hunter you dudes and you're you can just clean that shit up 10 days before the just, season. Yeah, you just got to have 10 days of no no bait. That's all. Yeah, last year you guys had 400 honkers in this general, you know, 10-mile radius. Now you got 1,000. And you didn't break any laws. Like, that that's a no-brainer. But I think, like, no, social media is ruining everything. I think the speakers are the way to go. The speakers at night? <laughs> <laughs> There's no regulation. You can run that right up till right up till season. One minute before season opens, shut the speaker off. You're not breaking yeah. any laws. Yeah, I think you could run it right up until you load your shotgun, probably. Probably. I wouldn't push it. I think 11.59 the night before is probably good enough. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the area now. Is that what you would consider a gray area? No. <laughs> what, what, I don't Show me one bit of regulation that says in... June, I can't play music for wild birds. <laughs> Show me one bit of regulation that's a gray area. I mean, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, what's gray about it? Nothing. There's no gray regulations at all. I can't find any. <laughs> well, I mean, that's... <laughs> you can't hunt using electric electric amplified bird calls. Yeah, but I'm, not, that, I'm not hunting. Not hunting. We're just attracting season, birds. Why would I be area. hunting this? Season isn't even open yet. That's how fucking Lack of Parle got started, all right? Exactly. I'm learning from my my ancestors that's right i think I, I you know if you had access to like a like a gravel pit or something like it'd be a really kick-ass experiment to do like if you knew how many birds were in your general area yes. every summer and then all of a sudden like let's bait this and a couple other nearby ponds all of june july august and see what happens like that'd be an awesome experiment experiment that well, i want to do the the sound one i want to do the e-collar experiment just, i want to do the baits just run <laughs> just run just run that sound and see if you know if you got a farm pond or whatever that you know you know what it's been holding year in and year out it gets oh, geese dude, but nothing crazy and then you run you run an e-collar for a week and that thing just blackens out i would say you got a pretty strong argument and not only is there regulations that you can't hunt over baits in the united states but you can't hunt near live decoys or farm ducks and geese either if you are hunting, you have to um, put the the farm ducks and geese into an enclosure where they can't be seen or heard. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. So they don't make those they don't make those laws for for nothing. Like sound and sight, like attracts other birds to the area. Like, Does, what is the wording? Does it say waterfall or ducks and geese? Can I use chickens? Because what, what if I just release like a thousand chickens, white chickens, into a field during spring snow goose season? I don't know what that would do for you but i still think you should do the white box <laughs> <laughs> should i do like this year i kind of did the whole like dave smith uh decoy small spread all season long should i just do white box all season long next year and just every hunt why not refuse to go on any hunt that's not in a white box <laughs> <laughs> hey you want to hunt uh we got a good traffic field tomorrow nick jay want to go like uh is there a white box I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring my white fox along. I'm like, well, no, actually, we're going to set up some A-frames, and, and you're insane. I'm out. I won't. I'm not, I'm not coming. <laughs> I, um, why not? Try it. Try it early season when everything's green. Throw a white box out there. See what happens. It'd be interesting. You, you double-dog dare me? I do double-dog dare you. <laughs> I triple-dog dare you. It's just a little cumbersome. Huh? I mean, not after I, isn't it worth the experiment? I, not after I get this honker hauler with the e-wheel built, though. There you go. <laughs> e I got that. Yeah, dude, I got that coming. It's called a four-wheeler. 
<laughs> it's it's not very much less expensive. You're trying to reinvent <laughs> the wheel for no reason. Like they make a thing. It's called a it's called the Polaris four wheeler with a no, otter no. sled. <laughs> I was I was actually talking to the guy who owns uh, Honker Hauler carts, and he was giving me this uh, like the shopping list basically, and and uh, he's. I said, you know, you put two of those things on there. And we were talking about beach wheels and mud tires. And I'm like, maybe a little skid on the back, on the bottom. So you get uh, like four or five inches of flotation. He goes, yeah, but now you're talking about an $8,000 machine. I'm like, yeah, probably just get the, U- <laughs> just get the UTV at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We don't need this crazy space cart you're imagining. Right. Right? Like, <laughs> they okay, make it already. Okay, fine. Buy an Argo. <laughs> okay. Was, um. Damn it, they're like a little snowmobile, but you are yes. standing in it. Snow what dogs. is that called? I think it's like snow a dog. snow dog. Those things are kind of intriguing. Yeah, it's pretty. Somebody pretty asked slick. me if I seen one, and I said no when I Googled it. And it's like I'd never seen it before or since. And yeah, they're kind of cool. I want one. I don't know why, but I want one. Because <laughs> it's eclectic, and it's so cool. are you. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Well, did I, you, uh, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. Should we call her a night? Yeah, I think so. I think I think we've done good, kid. We'll get some structure, and also we should definitely remember to thank Boss Ammunition for sponsoring this show. Thanks, Boss. I think it's data, not your opinion, man. Boss is better. Go get some <laughs> dollar. A dollar it's data. Around. It's data, not your opinion. I will say this though: that I think there is definitely something to be said as far as like if you if people kept good numbers, like good logs, like. Doll, like um, money per bird in hand, you know, because you had like shit ammo, and you it took you a full box to get three birds versus quality ammo that's more expensive off the shelf. But if every two rounds results in a bird in hand, like what's that? You know what I mean? What's the what's okay. the payout? If it is it actually cheaper or at least I've... even to run quality shells? I've heard that argument for a decade or more. So look, since I was a kid, people have been making that argument. It's cheaper in the long run. And I don't agree with that. I think it's more expensive to shoot bismuth than it is steel. And it will never be cheaper. But what's not chasing cripples worth to you? Sure. What's what's being in the blind for every flock worth to you? What's, what's feeling like you didn't just lose a bunch of birds to the cattails and the coyotes worth to you? You know, like that has a value. And that value to me is like, Dude, I, I hate triples. I, it's got a huge value to me to know I'm going to have a better chance that I'm not going to have any cripples on this hunt at all. Like, right. I don't know. I just know I got that luck, man. I'll be out there looking for that cat in the cattail for that fucking and every wing teal cripple and then that neck could collar potentially be banded. Of course it could. <laughs> right. just eats, it eats me away, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta find birds when I shoot them. And I'm allergic to dogs, so I've never had that either. Yeah. Well, I'm not so, allergic to dogs, but I don't I'm not a big fan of chasing cripples for sure. So boss ammunition though. So so boss. Dude, I think we're like probably six months away from them sending you a check. Well we'll keep going. <laughs> So if you're listening to this, tell them uh, them you heard it on this podcast. Remind them who Nick Johnson is. That's right. And Dale Luganville. And uh, maybe we'll work our way in there. Yeah. Just got to keep, that's how how it works. Keep dropping their name. It'll it'll pan out. For sure. All right, man. Have yourself a good night. Later, dude. All right, bye.